1: Everybody. Hello. It is a Wednesday and we are not here with an episodic conversation, but we are here with a very special episode. Uh listen, our episodic conversation on normal again is gonna air tomorrow, a Thursday, scandalous. But we, I know, gasp. We thought it was really important, though, to give you this conversation first. One of our listeners, Sarah Duncan, who is a pop culture scholar, a multidisciplinary artist, and a cultural worker, is here in conversation with producer Al Badazza and myself. We talk about this week's episode of Buffy, Normal Again, but we're focusing in on the harmful mental health tropes, how common they are across pop culture, and how harmful and dangerous those tropes have been and continue to be. It's a really powerful discussion, and I am so excited to share it with everyone.
0: Yeah, and as somebody who's already heard this episode, let me tell you what, it's pretty great. Really, really fascinating, illuminating stuff. Uh, It's also really important to note that this month, July, is Disability Pride Month, and so centering this conversation on mental health specifically is a really powerful way to begin our July together. If you're new to learning about disability pride and what that means, we are going to share a quote from Eli Clare, who is a writer, poet, and activist. This was taken from a speech made at a disability pride event in 2010. Disability pride calls for celebration, hope, rebellion. We take shame, fear, and isolation, turn them around, and forge wholeness. Pride refuses to let the daily grind of ableism, discrimination, exclusion, violence, and patronizing define who we are. Pride knows our history, joyfully insists upon our present, and stretches into our future. It must not leave anyone behind, not folks in prison, not folks in nursing homes, group homes, their families' backrooms, not folks in psych facilities, not our elders, not our youth. Pride demands and nurtures open, expansive community. Pride means listening hard and being accountable to each other. It means struggling against racism, sexism, homophobia, transphobia, and classism, just as stubbornly as we fight ableism. Pride isn't about any single identity or community, but rather about all of who we are. Disabled people of color, disabled lesbians, gay men and bisexual people, disabled women, disabled poor and working-class people— Disabled immigrants, disabled transgender and transsexual people, psych survivors, people with intellectual disabilities, people with chronic illness, people with non-apparent disabilities. Pride asks uncomfortable questions and demands honest answers. It dances, sings, protests, loves, cries, fights, rolls, limps, laughs, stutters. Pride invites us to make home in our bodies and with each other.
1: One of the films that we reference in our conversation today is called Code of the Freaks. And if you aren't familiar with the documentary, we highly, highly recommend it. It digs a lot deeper and further back into pop culture's history of portraying disability. And it's an incredibly important film. Links to find that film, more on Eli Clare, whose quote you just heard read by Jenny, articles referenced in the episode, and resources that Sarah wonderful Sarah, sent over to us are all in today's show notes. Last but certainly not least, this month we're asking those who are able to donate to give to Students with Psychosis, an organization that empowers student leaders globally through community building and collaboration. Their goal is to expand mental health and brain health advocacy at the college level to ensure psychosis representation, including a global perspective, and they can be found at sws.ngo.
0: Content warning. This episode includes conversations on mental health as well as references to violence done to those with disabilities.
1: Hi, so we have a, a really, a really fun trio of humans here today. I mean, I guess I shouldn't include myself in fun, but <laughs> uh, hi, it's Kristen, and I'm here with Alba and Sarah. Um, we're going to talk about normal again in uh, a little bit more of an in-depth way than Jenny and I are going to do. So hi, Alba. First of all, Hi. Hi.
2: How Love are you? to have you
1: here. <laughs> Love to have you in the pod space. Love to be here. <laughs> Love to contribute. Um, and I think if you're listening to this podcast, you know me a little bit and you know Alba a little bit. But Sarah, hello. 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 Hi.
3: hi, hi, hi. I like uh, that perhaps... you said we're a fun trio. Makes me think yes. of the opposite
1: of the Oh, trio. God. Yeah. we yeah. Oh, God. Oh. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, this is a good trio. Uh-huh. Ooh, uh-huh. Yeah. I mean quite literally, I think if you turned the trio inside out, you might get us. So.
3: <laughs> Beautiful. True. I want that on my wall. Um.
1: <laughs> so, Sarah, um, we're going to talk, you know, just to frame this a little bit, although I'm sure Jenny and I have done a bit of that in the introduction. Uh, we're going to be talking about Normal Again, I mean, unfortunately or fortunately, we're talking about normal again, Mm -hmm. and we're just going to be looking together with your guidance and and your lead at um, pop culture and pop culture's treatment of mental health and specifically what we see in this episode. So uh, tell us just a little bit about you. Um, I mean, you know, Alba and I already know, but we'll pretend like we don't. So it'll seem fresh. (laughs) That's
3: that's beautiful. I love that. Fresh audience. Um, Yes, Hello, Um, I'm Sarah, and I am a pop culture scholar and a multidisciplinary artist and a cultural worker. Um, I'm really passionate about mental health advocacy and fighting violence and stigma against people with mental illness. Um, And I think one of the best ways that I do that, anyway, there's lots of ways to do that, but one of the best ways I do that is through conversations like this, Um, talking about media representations and their... Um, they're like very real, tangible uh, manifestations and implications. So I and I do that over at I do that here and I do that at Monstering Mag where I am the blog director. Um, I recently wrote an essay on the OCD coding of Chidi in the good place. Um, that was, yeah, it was really fun. Um, so that's, that's up there. And I'm also, I like to refer to myself as like the time loop lady. I, I am also really interested in the significance of the rising popularity of time loop, uh, plots in film and television and what they tell us about like our cultural experience and, how we're feeling in our day-to-day, which is mostly stuck,
1: by the way. But, um, yeah. (laughs) Stuck (laughs) in a loop? Yeah. What is time? What is time? Right,
0: exactly. Well, and that's how, I
1: mean, what's really fun, and, like, you all know if you're listening to this that the the listenership in this podcast is just, like, full of literally every kind of Mm -hmm. expert that the world could ever need. (laughs) Uh, And so I love that because you wrote us an email about – This, Mm -hmm. But I was like, I recognize this person's name. And so I did the like, let me look at your email Mm -hmm. history with buffering the vampire slayer. And the the first place that we really had an interaction was that you were like, hi, I'm a time loop scholar. So uh, I have Uh some comments about the fucking (laughs) mummy hand episode.
3: (laughs) What a title. I know, right? I'm a time loop scholar. (laughs) I just, you know, you have to, you have to claim the title that you want to be right. And time loop scholarship Uh isn't really a thing. I mean, it is, but it's not well, like- Well, now it is. Now it I is, made but it you thing. can't go to like Columbia for time loops, you know? Um, so <laughs> not yet, not, not yet. yet, yeah. Uh uh-huh, Well, uh-huh. but
1: maybe on a loop, you can <laughs> Yes, yes. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> um,
3: But uh, yeah, no, I mean, I'm a huge Buffy fan, been a Buffy fan since I was 16 and a podcast- fan sense of this podcast, to be clear, not just generally, Um, (laughs) since the podcast started, actually, like all the way back. Mm
1: -hmm. This is very exciting. And we have a lot to talk about uh, together. I just want to preface this by saying, too, that all three of us are here as producers, which I think is really, really fun and incredible and is based on the fact that Sarah, before we even like dug into the conversation, sent us what is... I don't even know. 12 page it's like a 12 page document. You laugh like as though it's like oh no, it's too long, but it's incredible. It's an incredible analysis okay. uh and it's just so brilliant and I was like, "Well, you're not just guesting on this podcast. You were literally <laughs> produced this episode. I mean, we're following um a lot of the points that you've laid out and brought to us, which I think is is really cool." Um, But I wrote to both Alba and Sarah last night in advance of this taping and was like, listen, I'm not going to be able to shut the fuck up about the gaslighting in this episode. (laughs) Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So I just got to start there. We have to start there. Yeah. So, you know, Sarah... Talk to us a little bit about, first of all, tell everyone about um, Cuckoo's Nest, the term Cuckoo's Nest, because I don't think everyone knows.
3: Yeah, it's fascinating. I was very excited to learn. So I think most people, I shouldn't say most people, some people know that there was a movie called One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. So um, when in the episode Willow says no more Cuckoo's Nest, we are like, oh, yeah, that movie but it's actually the name of a trope Um, and it comes from that movie, but the trope itself uh, is called the cuckoo's nest trope in television. And it is a trope for when both the audience and the person in the, you know, television show film doesn't know whether or not their reality is real, doesn't know whether or not they're quote unquote crazy, or if it's really happening. And so, and intentionally the term cuckoo's nest trope is there for film and television that doesn't resolve it. So it's not, that's really important that the cuckoo's nest trope is for those times where they don't know what's real, the audience doesn't know what's real. And also uh, we never
1: learn, right? Mm. Which is exactly what happens in this episode. I hate it so much. I know I really hate it. <laughs> I it's couldn't rude. watch. I have Very to watch rude. the episode again before Jenny and I will be taping the like mm. episodic Godspeed, conversation. Kristen. Yeah, and I but I couldn't. I, that's why I didn't watch it again before this. And I was really thinking about that in something that you brought up um, in this uh, document that uh, that resonated with me so deeply because I. There are things that maybe scare me or things that, like, maybe are really sad and I don't want to watch again. And this episode is none of those things. Um, This episode makes me feel a deep dread and anxiety, like, in the center of my being. Mm -hmm. Um, And... You wrote. I'm just gonna. Occasionally, I'm just gonna quote Great. you right to your own face. I love uh, it. I hope that's I cool. Feel famous. <laughs> yes, absolutely. but like, but like, you wrote down um, that this show, right, a show that's like prides itself on feminism, believing and trusting women, doing this is mm-hmm. so fucked up because it essentially tells the viewers that maybe a world where women save the day is all hysterical nonsense. Yep. Yeah, there are a few other uh, there are a few other points that like hit home for me but that was one of the massive ones because I was like that's why I am so upset watching this mm-hmm. is like mm-hmm. if we're going to create an entire show to lift us up and to tell us that these things are possible than to take that away from us in any measure. Take it away from Buffy's fucked oh, up. yeah, take it-
3: I know. I think the, <laughs> it's interesting, right? Cause I, we talked about how there's a couple quotes. One from Joss Whedon who says, oh, well, you know, if people want to think it's, and his words were a lunatic in Los Angeles, that's fine by me. And Marty Knoxon was like, well, I really hope we didn't send the message that we're invalidating the whole show. You know, that would, that would make me sad. <laughs> I remember reading that and going, well, I hope you're sad because I was like, "That's 100% what happened." <laughs> like, yeah, it's totally very much that, and I think it's compounded by the fact that the episode is presented as if, you know, okay, the problem is the mental illness, the problem is the big bad, but actually, that's kind of a distraction um, mm-hmm. because ultimately, what's actually happening is that there's three white men that are gaslighting Buffy using a monster but ultimately Mm -hmm. the big bad that's that's really behind it all is racism and patriarchy and sexism and all of these things and i think it's it's not a surprise that they are echoing much of what joss is doing and that i don't think it's a surprise that joss wrote the trio you know what i mean i see a lot of um
1: overlap there yeah and just the attitude of lol Right. doesn't mm, matter yeah. what they think <laughs> yeah who, who cares is like well why don't we examine the privilege in that sir yeah yes. uh and not that marty Knoxon doesn't walk with plenty of her own privilege sure. but certainly just the very experience of having existed in the world as a woman i think made her be like well i don't think we should undercut the whole point of the show no. That seems no yeah.
3: and i just think it's really especially considering that just waiting for i mean we all know now what a person he is but for years was like this is a feminist show right the show the whole thing was 90s feminism girl power and he like won awards for this right he gave speeches he did all these things and to suggest that ultimately his entire universe is just a little girl having you know a tantrum basically was like oh you don't actually know what's real ha, ha, ha. um and to do it in this way i mean it's really it's just such an insult. It feels it. It feels one. It feels like bad writing, to be totally honest. I think mm-hmm. also I'm just like this mm-hmm. is bad writing, and mm-hmm. two, it's a huge insult to the characters he's created, to the fan base itself, and this has been a long-standing argument. You know, this wasn't just like a fun little writer's game. The way he talks about it, like oh, it's a fun little writer's game. You completely undermined your show, and people are still talking about the fact mm-hmm. that you did so to this day.
1: Um, yeah, and it's also a real threat. Yes. Right. Like, that's I think that that's the thing that takes it from just like being like annoyed about like a te- episode of television that even an episode of television that does something irresponsibly, because that's going to be like the bulk of what we're talking about here today. Right. But the fact that that is an actual literal threat. To be told that that your um, experience is nothing but like the rantings of mm-hmm. a little girl right. to use, you know, it like that's why it's not just an upsetting episode of television. It's just like this viscerally uh, fucked up thing.
3: Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Thinking. No question, because we see this all the time. And exactly the reference that you made earlier with, about Britney Spears and mm-hmm. the tons of other people, plenty of mm-hmm. people who are not white famous icons, but that this is used as um, as fodder for locking people up, um, whether literally in prison or mm-hmm. um, in carceral settings, like psychiatric institutions, to just like
1: being the woman in the attic, right? That is it, especially when we talk about the hysterical woman. Mm-hmm. I mean, that is like a case in point, what is happening with Britney. And I think what's really interesting about the like Brittany overlap is just that we knew her so much so right now when this episode of television normal mm, again was yeah. airing this was like yeah. the peak of britney spears and so the fact that like we're a- analyzing this episode right now in 2021 when britney is speaking for herself in 2021 mm-hmm. in a way that she never has is just very yeah trippy to me <laughs> it is
2: yeah it is it's yeah, especially because you had that whole – you wanted to go on a whole tangent when Buffy cut her hair off. I did. Right? <laughs> yeah, you did. You did. <laughs> about Britney shaving her head and, and how – it's true. It was such a huge – her whole mental health was so public at the time. Everyone was talking about it. And then oh, the yeah. – conserv- I didn't even know she had a conservatorship until like two years
3: ago.
1: Oh, yeah. I also yeah. did yeah, the. I mean, I think the the recent conversation around everything, like publicly and the documentary and all of that, has like brought it to the fore in a way that because most, I think most of us were like, "What do you mean free?" Like, okay, we get it, but what is free, Britney? Right. Like, uh, and and like pu- the public at large piecing that together, I think, is a big part of why we're hearing, yeah, from, yeah, absolutely, now.
3: and I think it really plays into why people are afraid of being viewed that way themselves, because when you are deemed disabled, like quite literally in yeah. this legal sense, um, that means that things can be taken from you completely. Right. Um, and that's, we're seeing that with Brittany, her life is literally controlled. And it mm-hmm. also makes me think of a lot of times the people that in, in normal again, but also in other things that we've talked about, like girl interrupted and things like that, the people that are left behind, right. Mm -hmm. The people that don't get to get better. And it's because they are deemed so, so unwell, so disabled that they are not seen as fully human and therefore they cannot uh, leave the institution. You know, they are Mm -hmm. stuck there. This idea of like, well, they couldn't pull
1: themselves up by their bootstraps. So uh, they're just doomed. They're just there. Yeah. I mean, I like a friend of mine said to me uh, just this morning. Like, so I don't understand with with Britney like like they like she says like she wanted to have kids but she couldn't, but like it's like a doctor has to let you do what. And I was like, "Well, you got to rewind that tape, ma'am, because you are applying your own." And and it's not like Britney is obviously a very 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 wealthy white woman, so okay. that has to be taken into account. But I think that for so many people it's like, "Well, If you wanted to get out, you could. Oh, absolutely. If you needed to, you could. Mm -hmm. And And I, you know, Get Out. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, interesting. Yeah. (laughs) I was
2: thinking a lot about when we were looking at the document. I was thinking a lot about the movie Get Out. Yeah. And like all of the gaslighting there, and and the mental anyway. Yeah. Yeah.
1: No, but that's you don't even anyway. It's like that's fucking that is it. It's it's yeah. If you yourself can get out of a situation or feel you could, then you apply that to everyone else around you, Mm -hmm. despite the fact that that is not their situation and and not at all their reality. Right.
3: (sighs) It's also (laughs) when this happens. Right. It's if we locate sort of the onus to get better in mentally ill people or to get out of racist situations in people of color. It just completely absolves the system of having to do anything in terms of resources, right? Well, that's like huge gaslighting of the system, right? It just tells you that like
2: you are the problem, that you can't Mm -hmm. succeed, that you can't get out of it, that you aren't good enough. And that's how the system is able to function Mm -hmm. by like gaslighting us into believing that it's all our own problem. It's all our own issue. And so if you can't get it together, then there's something wrong with you. And if you're not a productive member of society, then there's something wrong with you. Not, oh, let's look at the system and let's look at the ways in which the system doesn't allow you to succeed, doesn't allow you to be a human, doesn't value your humanity, which is also then again impacted by the system. You know, the system Mm -hmm, impacts mm -hmm. the level of your like, quote unquote, humanity, like however you're able to be considered a human within the system. And uh, you can't. Right. You can't. And then the system just continues to thrive and impressing you.
1: Yeah, And equating it, right, with this, like, you are the hero if you can overcome Mm -hmm. it. Yes. We hear that, right? We hear that from Joyce, specifically. You can beat this. And it's complicated because Buffy is our hero. Right. Yeah. No, no question. She
3: is a hero. And so we are rooting for her. And at the same time, in this alternate universe, right? In the alternate universe, if we're following their logic, she's not Buffy superhero, right? So... But she's saying over and over, and I feel for Joyce because it's not like, like, it's like, yes, yeah, she's a, she's Buffy's mother. Of course, she's going to cheer her on. But it's because it parrots this larger cultural message of if you try hard enough, if you have the willpower, and if you um, are good enough, basically, because she does say very clearly, you're too good for this. Mm-hmm. And while I understand and that, what does that, that coming- mean
2: also? Yeah, like, oh, mean- you're a blonde white woman, mm-hmm. like straight mm-hmm. cis white woman in society. We have so, money like, for you. We yes. have money. Yes. we put that, you're in this institution. We've gotten you help. So, like, you're too good, deemed by society, mm-hmm. to be in this situation, to be in this place. So, get yourself out.
1: Yeah. Yeah. That's yes. And there's like really some agree. truth to it for Buffy because she does have the privilege mm-hmm. to I mean she does not like the 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 disability part of it is real but like yes. all of the other things that Joyce is referring to like she has more access than most people would ever have no like question. we talked about with Willow and addiction and, and you mm-hmm. know like mm-hmm. she does have so much more access to tools that might help her be mm-hmm. able to uh, mm-hmm. not be where she is but like yeah. I'm getting off track. No no, no, no,
2: you're not. Yeah, that's though right. you're not. I think that's it's right. I think that's it. Again, of what you were saying, Sarah, of like, again, like, white supremacy is telling you that you are too good, and white supremacy is what forces you to conform to it. And so then, if you don't, like, what does that say about you? You're a failure. Mm-hmm.
3: Mm-hmm. No, absolutely. Within the
2: system,
3: and it also sets up this this dichotomy in like it. Well, not even. Also, I will say, in addition, it sets up the dichotomy even. At like you're too good for this and then it's like well then what does it mean <laughs> like who is bad enough to have schizophrenia in this exactly of like, right you know exactly it's like, and what and exactly what you said of like what they mean is um like is like people of color people who um are different genders people who are working class and poor like you are too good for this because you are historically privileged um mm-hmm. and Yeah, it is. Yeah. And what you were saying about productivity, too, is really right on, because there's actually a lot of conversation in disability theory about the way white supremacist capitalism prizes productivity, this idea of like, well, if you can't be productive, if you can't be a good citizen, right, citizenship is really rested on productivity, then, uh, yeah, you, we got to get rid of you, basically, Mm -hmm. if you can't cure yourself, we got to get rid of you. And that means Mm -hmm. institution, or that means Literal death, like mm-hmm. death, literally. prison. literally. Death, prison, slavery, absolutely. you know,
2: yep. like all of those things, right? Mm-hmm. And I think something that's so frustrating that I want to – I think now is a good time to bring up within like Joyce saying you're too good for this or this mm-hmm. notion that Buffy can just like pull herself by, by right. her bootstraps and get over it is there's no acknowledgement of her trauma. And yeah. I think that's like a, a theme because we all did like some watches of like 90s – Mm-hmm. Mental health movies. Um, there's no, there's no discussion of well, what was the trauma that led you to this point? There's right. no context. There's no de- like delving into it with Buffy in like the real world, like Sunnydale, or in her like fantasy world, this institution. There's no examination of you have been through so much trauma. Yeah, you have had to go through so many things. Mm-hmm. So now you're having. Like, a mental health break. Like, obviously, she was gaslighted. She was injected. But, like, even mm-hmm. if we took that out and she was just having a mental health crisis, mm-hmm. you know, why aren't we talking about the fact that ev- – like, why aren't we talking about everything that she's been through to get her to this point? And it's just like, Buffy, you're too good for this. You're a superhero. Mm-hmm. Pull yourself up by your bootstraps and go, you know? It's mm-hmm. like,
1: why why aren't we examining what she's been through? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And what does that do? Because that really, like, the thing is, is that perpetuates – the struggle, right? That perpetual, when we feel like we can't struggle, we are only going to struggle more. And like oh, that's, yeah. I, you know, I I, I don't want to say that it's like a generational thing because it's, it's much more than that. But I know that like in my family and my mm-hmm. personal family, like I can see the generational divide and I can see... Like, my parents, specifically my dad, yeah. and a lot of Italian old men <laughs> fall the fuck apart when they hit a particular age because their whole lives they have been walking the line of, like, I have to hold it together, I have to yeah. hold it together. And then when your body starts to get old, it's like, dude, I can't fucking do this anymore. Right. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, right. Absolutely.
3: There's also something very individualist in the way that they are even approaching Buffy and telling her to get better. And while I recognize that like, I don't know very much at all about treatment for schizophrenia. So I want to be careful there. I will Mm -hmm. say that it is her doctor and her parents, and they're literally sitting her in a room and saying, okay, we're going to watch you now. um, Please kill off your delusions. And even if this is, (laughs) it's like, what, but even if, you know, even if this is a thing, and I did speak to a psychiatric nurse friend of mine who said that like, no, that's not common. It is, that's, for her, she was like, oh, that sounds more like something we would do for other mental illnesses, like OCD, like a kind of um, face your fears. uh, Like a CBT kind of thing? More actually Mm -hmm. something called ERP, um, exposure and response prevention. Yes. Um, So she was like, that's what it sounds like to me. And no, that's not typical um, in terms of treatment of schizophrenia, but still- even if it was, um, it would only be one tool. And for someone who just woke up and quote-unquote is lucid, and then suddenly it's like, great, so you have one chance to be healthy, and the only way that you get healthy and go home is if you can do this thing, well, we all watch you. Um, As opposed to, let's be real, there are, and of course, this is a question too of resources, not everyone has access to this at all, but Um, In the best cases, we have things like group therapy. We have medication that hopefully is honoring the patient's agency. We have um, one-on-one therapy. We have all sorts of different kinds of um, just like a more collectivist approach to getting to thriving and navigating something as opposed to you need to cure it by yourself in a performative way. Yeah.
2: Barf, barf, barf. I think it's interesting too, because we're able to, in this discussion, look at both realities as... Yeah. reality you know mm-hmm. and and assess them and like how how are things how are things being dealt with, and how true are they and how helpful are they and Buffy within in this like institution reality, again, we're not seeing like any breakdown of well what got her there right like how how did she end up there mm-hmm. usually there're like there's a reason why people end up where they are, and why aren't we why can't we just like know that about her?
1: Sure. Sure.
3: I feel like in the episode, it's sort of when it's her and Willow talking, my understanding is when she says, oh, they put me in this institution when I said I saw vampires. That's in my sort of head canon. That's why she's there. Um, But I agree with you. She is definitely very traumatized. And I will say, I think the conversation of mental illness being like chemical sort of versus trauma trauma is Mm -hmm. not very useful, like in terms Mm -hmm. of that Mm -hmm. duality, right? I think Mm -hmm. that they're often so intertwined. Mm-hmm, and yeah, yeah. And I do think I don't know enough about different mental illnesses. I know mine very well. Like I know mm-hmm. OCD very well. We're good friends, but mm-hmm. I, <laughs> you know, we're really, we're tight, but, um, <laughs> I feel you
2: I'm, yeah. I'm not OCD. I'm like depression. Oh yeah. That's my yeah problem. Right. Exactly.
3: <laughs> Absolutely. Um, but so I don't, I don't feel like I can accurately say that there are no um, no mental illnesses, no experiences that are, that are purely chemical or that cannot be easily traced to trauma. Right. I feel like mm-hmm. there always has to be room for that to be the case, but, um, and also I'm just not a neuroscientist, I'm uh, mm-hmm. surprise, but don't worry, we've got some. <laughs> <laughs> oh, great. Let's bring them in. Um, <laughs> but I agree that I think that the reason that, and the social model of disability, as well as, another model that I really like, which is the political relational model by theorist Alison Capper. Um, These models recognize that much of what makes people unwell um, is exactly what you're saying, whether it, and it, it can be interpersonal trauma, but it can also be these structural traumas that are so deep seated as well as epigenetic trauma. And that brings it into an even more sort of conversation of like, well, it's trauma and it's genetic <laughs> you know mm-hmm. it's epigenetic mm-hmm. trauma right can you explain yeah. epigenetics oh for of course the listener yes yes um and my own understanding is still fairly surface level mm-hmm. so I just say that but um, epigenetic trauma is trauma that is passed down through generations um, and it is there has been a lot of research recently about the trauma of people being enslaved and passing that Mm -hmm. through families passing makes it sound like they're making a choice to do that. That's it's not their fault. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, but it is, it is in, it is in the body. It is in the system. Um, trauma does not just, you know, poof or like,
1: Oh, you had a good cry session.
3: Yeah. You made a good playlist. You journaled once like these things, you know, they don't go away. Um,
1: (laughs) (laughs) it's funny you're like trauma doesn't go poof. And all I thought of was like, just like the demons that don't go poo, uh-huh, You know uh-huh. what I mean? They're not. <laughs> yep. uh, yeah. yeah. Something that came up for me while you were talking about like not loving the is it chemical, is sure. it? Because it's really like, it just reminds me so much of the conversation of like, so are you queer because you were born that way? Yep. Or are you queer because of trauma? Or are right. you queer because you yeah. chose it? Or right. And it's like, it misses the whole, whole point. point. Of, of that, like, I am who I am, mm-hmm. and, like, this is how I feel about who I am. Right. And maybe, maybe, like, as a queer person, maybe I have an attachment to mm-hmm. I was born this way, or maybe I have an attachment right. to whatever, but, like, that is for me. That is mm-hmm. not for, like, public conversation, mm-hmm. because, it, because it misses the point, because it misses yeah. the point of, like, uh, many of... Many people are living with disability. Many people are living with mental illness. uh, And that doesn't mean that uh, the people who are living with mental illness, disability, want that to go away, to be cured, to to be different. And I think that that is so hard for able-bodied people to understand. Again, it's not apples to apples, but, Um, you know, just like a lot of straight people for a long fucking time were like, okay, but if you... But, like, if you could choose. Right. Totally. And you're like, no, dude. Like, I fucking like, – I'm good here. Uh, yeah. Like, I'm good. I like this. And these are my reasons for liking this. So mm-hmm.
2: – It reminds me of a little anecdote from when I was, like, five and my aunt is gay and I just, like, didn't understand. Like, I just didn't understand the concept of being gay, obviously because of the society that I was raised into. But I was like, so does that mean you want to be a boy? And mm. she was like, no. And I was like, but you like women. And she was like, yeah. And I was like, so don't you want to be a boy? And she's like, no. And I was like, <laughs> okay, I guess okay and now I'm like at, later in my like adult years so I was like cringing and I was like no I was like five like whatever right
3: like,
1: five totally I mean understand. there's plenty of people who are fucking <laughs> yeah. 50 I, know. I was
0: like that's impressive
3: that you were having that conversation you were getting curious you were asking her about her experience at five that just only bodes well Eva you yeah.
1: recognized uh, uh, social structures at age five yeah. and that's true to draw that fucking line you should be proud of yourself
2: <laughs> Yeah, also used yeah. to call her I used to call her and her girlfriend the lesbians. I didn't know <laughs> the lesbians. Those are the lesbians.
3: Mm, I'm going to well, use that now.
2: That's fucking cute.
3: <laughs> that's adorable. That's
1: cute as fuck. <laughs>
3: um, the Cure rhetoric thing really makes me think of, um, there's, a, there's a theorist that I really love and I really recommend that everyone check out his work because he also writes um It is theory, and it is not the, like, dense, super academic, which I am not against, but some people, that's not their thing. Um, And his name is Eli Clare, and he is a trans-disabled man, and he talks a lot about being like, I don't want to be cured, you know, um, like... I have these things. I am not interested in being different. What I am interested in is having, is living in a world that is more accessible and um, and less violent to me. But he's like, the problem is not my body. And it's an interesting conversation because- many people fall just like what you were saying, Kristen, in terms of the conversation on queerness is like many people fall in different areas, right? Like uh, some people are like, no, actually, I really, I really want a surgery or I really want Mm -hmm. to be on medication or, and, you know, and I am actually, I'm a very pro, like very pro medication for myself and also I'm very anti pill shaming because I went through a lot of that. So for me, that's an important tool, but it's not for everyone. Um, I feel like I'm losing the plot of my brain, but, Yeah, I think it's just, or there's chronic illness, right? And people with chronic illness are like, yeah, actually, it would be cool to not be sick all the time, right? But that doesn't mean that they're saying there's something wrong with me and I therefore Mm -hmm. need to be cured in the way that cure rhetoric, because cure rhetoric is not just about tools or help. It's about an idea that sees someone disabled or sick or mentally ill or neurodivergent As inherently a problem to be solved. And Mm -hmm. so the pushback against your rhetoric is I don't need you to solve me as a problem. Mm -hmm. I need Mm -hmm. you. I need you to make your meetings accessible. I need Mm -hmm. you to make sure Mm -hmm. that I'm not shot Mm -hmm. uh, by police, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And And I need you to let
1: me advocate for myself. Like that's where we began. This was like autonomy and being able to speak for yourself what you need and what you want and being believed when you speak those things, I think is what's lost in so much of this Mm -hmm. no question
2: yeah and I think that that is again like ties back into the notion of productivity and the structure of society built by white supremacy and the patriarchy and how are you going to be productive? And if you're not, you're a problem that needs to be solved. And so, Mm. again, when people are faced with racism or ableism or sexism or anything, you are taught to believe the problem is you when Mm -hmm. it is not you. Mm -hmm. You are not the problem. Maybe you're having problems because of the system, because the system Mm -hmm. has imposed problems upon you, right? right? And so- I would never change my intergenerational trauma, for example. Do I wish sometimes I didn't have to deal with it? Yeah. I, like, yeah. have little tantrums every time I have therapy. I'm like, fuck this trauma. When mm-hmm. is it going to be over? Like, <laughs> sure. For, of course. My life. <laughs> yeah. You know, but I, you know, I, I, I've I, come to a point where I can recognize that, my struggles with mental health and my struggles with depression or anxiety are absolutely a product of white supremacy or absolutely a product of yes. my intergenerational trauma. And sometimes it's really hard to get out of bed, but that makes me who I am. And it also yeah. informs my art and informs my advocacy for other people. It's why I'm on this sure. podcast. It's sure. like Same. has done yeah. so much for me at the same time, it has been an, a true gift to be different yeah. and to like advocate for people who are different and who mm-hmm. don't fit into this notion of like perfect white supremacy, like binary culture. Right. Like, fuck right, that. Yeah. You know, right, like, right. Literally terrifies me to be, I think, no- normal. Sure. You know?
1: Sure. Oh, wow. Yeah. Bringing us right to our title of the episode. <laughs> oh, exactly. So nicely. Yeah. Wow. I mean, I really like,
3: I really like that point and I know, it's interesting because I've held multiple things at once in tension for a long time. Of like, yeah, there have been times when I have been really sick with OCD, which it was like scary. It was scary for me. It was scary for my loved ones. And like, that's not something I'm like, yeah, sign me up. Let's do that again. You know, like, yeah. no, of course not. Um, and at the same time, I have been able to help. Like, some of them are friends that I haven't even talked to in years from high school, um, more recent mm-hmm. friends. People reach out to me a lot to say, Oh my God, thank you so much for being honest about having OCD. I didn't know what it was. I thought I was, I really thought like something was like happening and I didn't know what it was. And they said, you know, they didn't know there was a name for it, um, especially with intrusive thoughts um and the ways in which OCD is uh depicted on screen as often quirky, often just like being very type A, things like that. People don't know that OCD can also be like being afraid that you're going to like murder your like loved one, right? People Mm -hmm. don't know that that's, that is actually a thing. There's a name for it and it doesn't mean you're a bad person. Um, And yeah, I am grateful in many ways that I have been able to, to through honestly quite a lot of privilege, be able to have certain resources and be able to do the research I have and talk about it and then be here today. But yeah.
2: Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Same. Yeah. Lots of privilege and
2: there. Lots of privilege. Oh, on my no question.
1: Sure. Oh, I meant about Of me, course, but, yes. but then like <laughs> being able to. No, I mean there is right and like my um the flavor of my mental illness uh is is anxiety and specifically at at the um height of it for me in my late twenties was panic attacks yeah. Um like total dissociation and I. Didn't know what was happening to me, just like you talked about with OCD, mm-hmm. just like, right, like because it's not talked about. And the amount of people that I have been able to talk to simply to give a name to the thing that mm-hmm. is happening to them, which is like so powerful, like once you know, once you hear someone else say the things that you are feeling. Yeah. Oh yeah. You are so much less afraid. Oh, and yeah. so much less yeah. un, like, destabilized. Um, yeah. and it becomes something that you can work with, that you can, that you may have tools Absolutely. for, and, and so on yeah. and so forth. Absolutely. Yeah. Today's episode is brought to you by Regal Cinemas. Regal Unlimited is the all-you-can-watch movie subscription pass. It pays for itself in two movie visits. You can see any standard 2D movie, anytime, no blackout dates, no restrictions. When you want to watch a movie in 4DX or IMAX or RPX or ScreenX, there's so many ways to watch movies these days, your Regal Unlimited membership gets you into those premium experiences at a reduced cost. And with Regal Unlimited, you don't only save money on the tickets, you will also save on your snacks. And as previously mentioned, I love snacks. The only thing that can make me love a snack more is saving money on buying a snack. Members get 10% off of all non-alcoholic concession items with membership. Regal Unlimited, all-you-can-watch movie subscription pass. It pays for itself
0: That's not just any egg cream, that's a Lemke special. And all narrated by the hilarious Richard Kind.
2: This is the story of Harry Dallowitz, and how he rose from nothing to become New York's King of the Egg Cream.
0: So if you like funny true stories, come listen to King of the Egg Cream, available wherever you get your podcasts.
2: I, I've been going to support groups for the past six years and like absolutely changed my life just to sit and listen. Yes, just Sit and listen, and be like, oh, yeah.
3: Right. And I think it's I think it's sort of this point, though, that makes the fact like if we're talking about labels and depictions, I think the fact that they say in Normal Again that Bobby has undifferentiated schizophrenia. Right. There are certain I believe that there are certain uh, mental illnesses that are Mm -hmm. portrayed almost exclusively in negative lights Mm -hmm. um, so that people I think. Why do I try to say it's like, I remember rewatching the X-Files and it was like every three episodes, someone had bipolar disorder. Someone had um, mm-hmm. what they were calling multiple personality disorder is now dissociative identity disorder. Someone was schizophrenic. And every single time these people were extremely, extremely violent, portrayed as very violent as murderers or these things. And so when I'm thinking about, yes, the power to, to say, I have this, you have this too. I think it's a lot harder for people to feel safe and like literally safe right like people are Mm -hmm. actually afraid of people Mm -hmm. with certain mental illnesses Mm -hmm. and it's a lot harder for people to say actually um this is what i have do you also have it right people are a lot less likely to come out publicly because of these depictions and i think depictions like what we see in normal again really rob people with schizophrenia with other kinds of mental illness that are not represented um, in positive lights from the very thing that we're talking about getting um, and mm-hmm. being able to give.
2: Yeah. I mean, even like me just being like, Oh yeah. Like when we talk about mental health and like the first thing that comes to mind is all these episodes of my favorite murder that I've listened to. Right. Like, what does that tell right. you? You know what I mean? Absolutely. Like, what are the representations of mental illness? How do we mm-hmm. interact with them? What mm-hmm. do they inform us of? And how do we deal with people as a, as a result? You know?
3: I mean, it's almost exclusively characterized as the cause of violent behavior. I mean, even to the point where, I mean, speaking of time loops, uh, every time there is a mass shooting, um, the Mm -hmm. same narrative every single time there's the same, oh, this person was mentally, mentally ill. We need mental health care. No, don't say that because it's stigmatizing to people with mental illness. And then it, just sort of circles if away, they're white. Then it comes back right if they're white if absolutely. they're white that's a very important redirect if yeah. they're white
2: because mm-hmm. if they're not white then they're black right you know? they're, they're or there needs Latino, to be no other or right. there's nothing right. it's like this black right. man killed everybody the right. end you know right. what mental yep. illness what's that i don't know but totally. you white know? but, but he's white, white so men. there must be oh, something yeah. and also yeah. how often do people of color really go and like just shoot a bunch of people like not like, often yep. no
1: it's no literally always white dudes
3: which is why it's like look it's not it's like white supremacy itself is violent that misogyny <sighs> is violent i mean these yeah. are obviously not new thoughts but what i mean is like no. um that a lot of times people are like oh this man was meant to this white man was mentally ill that's why he did it and i'm like no, no, no. He did it because of white supremacy, bigotry, um, like feeling entitled, um, toxic masculinity, rage, all of these things. And I know that there's, there's conversation of like, well, isn't that mental illness? And it's like, you know, I don't think we're at a point in society where we can say that because right now people with actual mental illnesses that have been diagnosed by are getting so maligned right I just mm. don't think we just can't conflate them mm-hmm.
1: um we you could have an existential conversation about like well sure and we've whatever. been having I mean it's right. like we are talking about the connections between white supremacy and mental illness yeah, we are talk- yeah. we have yeah. yeah obviously talking about the connections yeah. between patriarchy and mental illness but yeah. what you're saying is important because if we're just pin- if we're just saying but it's the mental illness then it, right. then we don't look at right it's a distraction yep yes it totally is yeah Oh, yeah. And, Alba, you're
3: absolutely right that, like, yeah. Also, like, who gets to be mentally ill, which is also the who gets to take, who gets to opt out of life, which I know is what you were saying before about, like, yep, you just get to be in an institution, in a nice institution, right?
1: Yes. Something that came up earlier, um, we were talking about this idea of, like, curing, curing mental illness, making it go away, and what came up in my mind and a a point I know we want to talk about is the alternative to that. Right. Mm -hmm. Like, because it isn't just like, you really need to get better. It's, you really need to get better. And if you don't, you have to go away. Yep. Um, And like, that's where this like institutionalization trope comes in. And also like, you know, uh, Sarah, and I'm sure that we've shared it in the intro and, and elsewhere, but Sarah shared a really brilliant movie with us called code of the freaks. Which showcases, I mean, they They were not wanting for footage. Oh, they no. had, ju- I mean, hours and hours and hours of footage mm-hmm. of the portrayal of disability on the big screen over time. And it's like, if you don't get better, then you die. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so, Sarah, I know you want to talk a little bit about yeah. that, so please.
3: Yeah, absolutely. Um, I mean... Yes, it's very much it's very much presented as like you have a, an obligation to get better, um, both to uh, society at large. I mean, also you know they say like you're hurting everyone around you if you don't. All of these things like you have to get better, um, and if you don't, you are considered disposable. And that disposability can look many different ways. And you know if you are if you are white and wealthy, you might end up in kind of a cushy institution. It's still an institution you can't leave, but you're probably not going to you know, be harmed in certain ways as other people um, who are historically oppressed would be. But then you also see uh, like literal, I mean, so many people who are incarcerated suffer from mental illness, uh, so many people, and many of them, most of them are people of color because of the way that the, incar- the system overly incarcerates people of color, period. Um, then you also have people who are kept in the house uh, with their families, there's actually a statistic I think it's like something like, I don't know, remember the exact number. I have it somewhere, but it's in the last five years, I think it was like 700 disabled people and children were killed by their families. And so it's, it's when we say go away, right. Mm-hmm. We're talking about carceral things in terms of being locked up, um, you know, in prison, institutionalized, institutionalized in institutions that are not as cushy. Right. And I, I don't mm-hmm. mean to use cushy in a sort of derogatory way in terms of like I'm sure that, I'm sure that being institutionalized, period, is hard, right? But there is a really big difference um, in terms yeah. of like having your own room or something than like a state often like many underfunded psychiatric institutions that, if you Google them, have you know a litany of abuses. I mean, there's so so such a high chance of being abused if you are institutionalized, um, and or an incarcerated. Well, or and incarcerated or incarcerated like- exactly.
1: And this is like really like a snake that's eating its own tail when we're talking about pop culture and how it informs this is yes. like the people working at these institutions, the police mm-hmm. officers, mm-hmm. the people who are holding the power and have the power to interface with people with mental illness are taking their primary information yes from television yes and movies.
2: Yes, that's it that's absolutely yes it.
3: absolutely and in the Which documentary, is funded by what yeah
2: white supremacy
0: just yes. like,
2: let's just make sure that we all are un- fucking understand what's what's dictating the world that we live in you know oh yeah yes yeah.
0: yes yeah.
3: documentary that you mentioned i mean in it um they pose the question at the end of like okay so yeah we've seen all of these clips you've shown us your archive but like so what you know they're just movies and i feel like we get that argument a lot oh it's just a joke oh it's just a movie oh it's just a tv show etc um but it has very serious real world consequences um like it's literal uh, so one of the one of the activists that is interviewed in the documentary is uh, Candace Coleman, who is a disability activist. And she says, these movies are death sentences. And she is not being hyperbolic. Mm -hmm. Um, There are scores and scores of people who have been killed by police, by systems, um, who are mentally ill, who are Black. I mean, the ableism and racism always go together. I mean, it is, yeah, I, I mean, the list is horrifyingly long so I think when people say you know like I just want to be able to enjoy that episode I mean one that's a very that's a lot of privilege period and two it's like I think the other thing that's important is that if this was just an anomaly right if normal again was just like okay (laughs) one episode one and maybe like three okay oh yeah Uh, you know the mental illness was the boogeyman was the bad guy someone tried to murder their family um, which is a whole other like trope uh, okay, no big deal, just one time. But that's not what we see, right? We see this trope over and over and over and over and over and over again, that mentally ill people are violent, will hurt their loved ones. And as a result, they are treated as if they are going to be violent. And that is why they are 16 times more likely to be killed by police. Mm-hmm. Um, so it is it is a literal death sentence to continue this trope and to not
1: interrogate it. I don't know how you can be a self-reflective person and not find this a uh, valid talking point, find this to be Mm -hmm. true, because I know that my interaction with people who may have exhibited behavior that I associated with mental illness. I lived in New York City for 20 years, and I can tell you that many of those years I had visceral responses of moving away, Mm -hmm. being afraid, and all of that information, Nearly all of that information Absolutely. came from what I had seen um, mm-hmm. in media. Mm-hmm. And and it is taken. And it, I mean, that's a lifetime worth of work. It's, it's similar work to unpacking any structure that you've lived inside of your whole life. But like that work of really saying like, wait, why do I feel this way? And yes. what does that mean? And then getting that to translate to the way that you interface with people in the real world, like that's big. Absolutely.
3: And it's it reminds me very much of the song that Alba, you wrote with Mac about Stereotype Buffet, about ultimately, you know, we see over and over again in film, in TV, in media, that that media, that Black men are criminals. And we know that that is not at all disproportionately true in the way that it is shown to us. It's like, And as a result... They are overly profiled. They are overly incarcerated, not even overly. I mean, no one should be incarcerated, but um, no one should be profiled, right? But um, they're targeted. And it's because our brain makes these links. It's because movies and films, they are teaching tools of the world. They tell us, they tell our brain what to associate with what. And even if we really don't want to think a certain way, our brain still is calling up these images. Oh, I've seen this over and over again. So this must equal this. I know what schizophrenia looks like because I've seen this, the series of, you know, asylum scenes. I know what bipolar disorder is because fill in the blank, right? That is what people walk away with. Um, Because ultimately one of the biggest teaching tools, period, is media, just period.
2: Absolutely. Hard agree, hard agree. And I think that, Maybe this is a good time to bring in that, you know, I searched and searched and searched for representations of people of color with mental illness in media, and I couldn't find almost anything. Like, please, if you're a listener and you know something, like, I don't know, email us, like, <laughs> tweet at us. I don't know. Just tweet at me. Email me, please. I want to know. I want to watch it. Um, I think, like, the the one I can think of is I May Destroy You, which I haven't seen yet because mm-hmm. I'm scared. <laughs>
3: Sure. <laughs>
2: mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, I I wasn't able to find any representations really of treatment of BIPOC mental health, yeah.
1: which you know, Alva, I was thinking a lot about this point. Um, because we we had a conversation sort of off air about it as well, and like, what's really interesting about that question is the fact that when when I watched Code of the Code of the Freaks, right, mm-hmm. it's like the 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 movie kind of ends with the interviewers being like so is there any movie or media portrayal of disability that you think was done well or responsibly or what have you? And every fucking person in the film was like, nope, nope, nope. So when you bring in this point of like, and we're not examining mental health disability whatsoever in communities of color, it's almost like, I don't even know what – like, what where's the bad? Because, like, we don't want the bad representations, and that's all we're getting. So right. we need not only good and responsible representations, but also representations of more than just white people. Right. yeah right.
2: of more than just white people. And also I think something that I really only examined, like, once we started having this conversation and, like, putting together the document and after we talked and looking at normal again, and I was just, like, really annoyed, you know, as somebody – I think I feel very betrayed by media as a person of color in so many different ways – that i didn't know what was wrong with me you know and like it comes yeah. back to that it comes back to that conversation of like when you're not productive in society society convinces you that you're a bad person mm-hmm. you know and it's not just like oh you're just unwell here's some help you know right. and mm-hmm. and it's so much harder for people of color also to access that help like we've talked about like i mean it's harder to have funding it's harder to access medical care it's harder to have like all of these different right. um there's blockades at every avenue constructed by white supremacy mm-hmm. and the patriarchy and so when you're a person of color and you have mental health issues like how do you access anything because it's, right. you literally live in this like I at least in my life have felt at different times I live in this like glass box that like just follows me around and I can't like get out of it it's very oppressive um but to not have any representations of myself in media that that are like it's okay you're just having some depression you have trauma. I, you have depression. And I wish I had seen Girl Interrupted earlier because though it's very problematic, it is kind of hopeful and it's like, it oh, you is. can like – I don't know. was like, oh, I wish I had seen that as a teenager and thought like, oh, I guess I'm going through a hard time right now and maybe there's like hope to mm. – I don't know. You know, but the representations that we do see, I think, of mental health of BIPOC people on TV because like we, there's no like film centering a person of color really So the representations that we do see that maybe touch on mental health are just addiction or Mm -hmm. violent Mm -hmm. or homelessness or Mm -hmm. criminality, you know, because what are the options and what are the representations? And when we, like, break that down, maybe it's somebody Mm. just suffering from a mental health issue. You know what I mean? And that is the case in society, right? Like, isn't addiction so related to mental health? And, like, so if you don't have access
1: to resources to get better, then what avenue can Mm -hmm. you take, Mm -hmm. right? You know – Yes. You know what's so fucking fascinating, Alba, like with you saying that is like cuz we we had like a bit of a conversation about how in um mass murders and and mass shootings and things like this that like if it's a white person, we get to talk about for better or for worse, right? Mental health. And mm-hmm. if it is a person of color, we don't get that. We no. just get all of the things that you were just listing. And the mm-hmm. and, and and so there's just like a total overlap there of like when we're looking at media If we're seeing a a person of color centered, often the things that are talked about are homelessness, violence, et cetera. I don't have to go down Criminality, addiction, whatever it is. But when it's a white person, we're looking, even if we're doing it problematically, which we are, we're still looking at it. Uh, based on their mental health and not all of these other um, drugs. Yeah, with like a little bit of grace,
2: right? With a little bit more of generosity. With like, oh, let's look into the mind of this complicated person, right? Mm -hmm. The people of color, often also trans people, trans people of color, like Mm -hmm. forget it. Mm -hmm. Absolutely forget it. That like, that we're not given, those people are not given even the opportunity to be a human who deserves curiosity.
3: Absolutely. I mean, it makes me think of this, there's sort of this, binary between like compassion and pity or compassion mm. and like like revulsion or judgment or you know of like who gets to be um a mentally ill person that you feel for that you root for that you mm-hmm. and it's so often and not even so often um, i'd say exclusively exclusively is what exclusively no question is mm-hmm. white people right mm-hmm. um and they're the ones that we go oh okay we really feel for them they're the ones we see i mean buffy you know we love buffy but Yes, she is the reason that we're supposed to feel for her is because she is a white woman in this institution with her family is still with her. They haven't thrown her out. She isn't homeless, right? She has a doctor who wants to like talk to her for more than five minutes. Mm -hmm. I mean, this is, Mm -hmm. I also do want to point out that um, the the trope of black people being doctors and being therapists to help mentally ill white people. Yeah, Mm -hmm. that is, that's Mm -hmm. a big
2: thing of like, people of color especially black people being the helper being the person to aid the white person to get better and right. they are just a trope they are just um a device
3: very much so to
2: a white person's success and this mm-hmm. is like in Buffy we have the black oh, yeah. doctor in Girl Interrupted we have the Valerie. the black the yeah, the, mm-hmm. the black nurse in yeah. um even in like the Queen's Gambit Mm-hmm, we have mm-hmm. the the um, the black friend who yeah. like tells her about the pills, gets her the money, you know, whatever. Mm-hmm, yeah. um, crazy in- ex
3: girlfriend, crazy ex girlfriend. Uh, mm-hmm. Rebecca Bunch's uh, therapist, Doctor Acopian, is mm-hmm. a black woman. Um, mm-hmm. I'm just trying to think. Uh, in Wanderlust, I love Tony Collette, but in Wanderlust, uh, her. Joy, the character that Tony Collette play, her therapist is a black woman. I just like have mm-hmm. a bunch of them. There's so many. Yeah, yeah I can there just see so like many. so many
2: black female therapists mm-hmm. in my brain. That like, mm-hmm. even in um, never have I ever. I mm-hmm. know like the protagonist isn't white, but it's still like a black therapist. Sure.
3: Yes. Even in Buffy, when she sees the guidance counselor, he's a black. Man. Yeah, he's black. Um, he's black. Absolutely. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. And her doctor in this episode is black. Yeah.
1: Hmm. Hmm. And like you know connecting it back to to where you started um albo it's like the the reason too is it's all it's also all money because mm-hmm. and they talk about that in in Code of the Freaks and you know it's like yes we don't have disabled people telling the stories of disabled people we don't have people of color telling the stories of people of color we don't have trans disabled people of color telling the story of trans disabled people of color. And that's like one of the biggest missing links. And it's all because of money and power. Absolutely. Like Joss Whedon has the money to tell this mm-hmm. fucking story, right? The creators of Lost. I mean, when we were talking earlier about how there, this this trope is everywhere, I was just doing a rewatch of Lost, just mm-hmm. trying to mind my own business and watch a show <laughs> without analyzing it. And there's a whole fucking episode. I mean, Hurley's entire arc yeah. Is is he on the fucking island or is he just crazy? Right, like right, these right. these stories are everywhere, and the and and you know the the money is in the hands of yes, you know able bodied um, uh, wealthy white people, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and Cis they're not gonna people. fucking get it straight yeah. right straight sis, white you know yeah, oh but yeah. girl, you, you can come on you listen to buffering the vampire slayer yeah. you can rattle off that list yeah
3: I just want to add to that that um that yes the, the money piece is so big because it is it's Hollywood itself is making so much money off of depicting disability and so are abled performers like Mm, the mm. um in code of the freaks they do this whole segment near the end where they're showing all these clips of people winning oscars oscars playing people and it's and it's it's i mean there's it's endless there's so many and it It was chilling how endless it was it was so upsetting and it's they are making so much money off of employing disability as an exploitive thing and i Mm -hmm. so it's 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 also yes that like that like white cis straight people and able people in power have the money to make the movies at all, but it's also that it is like part of the the industry that they are like squeezing, right? Like they are a hundred percent milking it, and that's why they're not interested in you know, yeah. disabled people telling their own stories because they know that they can get. A lot more money and a lot more Oscar rated movies if it's more of a like wow this abled person was able to do this thing
1: how amazing right yes That's- oh they could walk at the end oh. or Ooh. oh they could fucking whatever the thing yep. is mm-hmm. it's and you know it's exhausting I, it's yes. it really is it's overwhelming it's, I mean I think a lot of these conversations are can feel so overwhelming because when you start to peel back the layers you really see like how many issues right. there are and you know, we've brought up Girl Interrupted a couple of times and um, we brought up Britney Spears and <laughs> this show and Lost. And, and these are not that we're at a place where like this is fucking even close to fix because it's not. But I do think that it is a particular thing to take a look at 90s and early mm-hmm. 2000s conversations around mental health specifically um, because they are so aligned in saying remember when we used to think women were hysterical right and still somehow doing it yeah um right, right. like and, it, and it's real and that is what this is that is a part of that is a part of that like 90s early odds canon of like is she crazy or right. is she powerful
3: <laughs> and the, the the review that we all read there was a review um in the new york times of girl interrupted and it was it was embodying exactly what you just said because the whole thing was saying oh well it's depicting the 60s and it was much more patronizing back then but the whole review (laughs) is so patronizing He's, he's he's even describes winona Ryder as someone that could have a tantrum at like the drop of a hat. You have to like watch what you say. Just her as the actor before she even starts, he even starts talking about the actual film. I mean, so it's this whole thing of like, oh, we know that there's patronization, but it's not us, it's not us, wink. And it's like, yes,
1: yes, it is. It is you. You're doing it right now. Right? Yes, yes. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. I, you know, I agree too. Like I loved, I mean, I fucking lo- Were you kidding me when that movie came out? Please. I sure. loved it so much. Um but I I think one of the positive things that it does is showcase community like yeah. right like that's the because otherwise we have Angelina Jolie like at the end who's like it is not a good yeah. it is not a good I hope she got look, out. look yeah. for yeah it's <laughs> just not there's not a lot of good stuff going on in that no. um when you rewatch it but they do they, there is a there is a story of like taking care of each other which I Definitely. think you know, those are nice. the scenes.
3: Yeah, those are the scenes that I loved the most, which was the like taking back their own agency and their own diagnoses by going in and reading their files. Um and ah, they the, yes. go bowling. I know it was oh, so great. cute. It was, it was great. So great. Um, I think the main, the thing that really struck me about the movie that felt relevant to this episode as well is that mm-hmm. ultimately, and I hear you, Elba, that there is some hope, but I, I find that hope troubling, not because mm-hmm. hope in itself mm-hmm. is troubling, but because the reason that there is hope is because I feel like Susanna sh- sort of decides to view herself as better than everyone yes. else around. Yes. Her. Mm-hmm. And, yes. So she, and that's yes. the only way that she progresses. Right. <laughs> and, and she's rewarded for it. She is right. rewarded out the ass for it. And that yes. is what they let her go home. And so I, I really, I mean, I ended that movie just going, Oh my God, I was so angry. Um, And so it's hard because I do think, I am someone who, I mean, I have a, I have a a team. I have a therapist. I have a psychiatrist. Like Mm -hmm. I am a, definitely a believer that these things can help. It's not like I'm Mm -hmm. like therapy is bogus. No, but, um, I just, I, the whole just, I mean, literally in the end of the movie, she just says, you know, like, essentially I am better than you. You are the worst. And I would rather be anywhere, but here. And it's like, I'm sorry, what? Just and then the next scene,
1: she's like, let me paint your nails. Anyway, that's my own. I was which so is mad. which is and, and you you connected it um, to this episode of television, but like that is like on the uh, institution side of this episode, that is the exact ask. Right. You are you can get away from this. Yes. You can be better. Because when I first you're good start, enough to do it. Yes. Right. And when I first started therapy cuz I I have gone to therapy you know for the better part of the last 20 plus years of Hard my end. life right mm-hmm. um yeah and uh and and like when I first started going to therapy I really went in thinking like I will talk to this person and then I will be better mm-hmm. um that was my idea and it took me like 5 years to even get to the point where I was like oh so this isn't about This isn't about, like, a fix. This isn't about getting better. It's about understanding who I am, why I am who I am, Mm -hmm. and what tools I need and, again, privilege might have access to to help me live in a way that feels more balanced than than it does currently. Like, Mm -hmm. that's what it is. It's not... And, and movies like I mean, I grew up, like my mm-hmm, my mm-hmm. teenage like bottle fed existence was from movies like this. Right. Teaching me that if I could just do it the right way, that I would be okay. I would right. be okay. Hard air quotes there.
3: And that's the thing with normal again, because we see in the very, very last moment, um, you know, Joyce is saying, You're too good for this, be strong. And she we see Buffy turn to her and say goodbye, right? Um which is essentially saying, oh, she made a choice. She has chosen, she is gone. And then the last cut is the doctor saying we lost her, which is something you say when someone's died, right? So it is is essentially saying like, this person is completely gone, she is done. And and it feeds into that exact same legacy of like, well, one, she failed, she totally failed. She turns out she wasn't good enough. She wasn't strong enough. She chose mental illness and therefore that's it. She's gone. And it's just so... It's just, it's so horrendous and it's so devastating and it's so connected to exactly how people, like people are really, I think that's why so many people are afraid to get help too, because this, this juxtaposition between the person who Mm -hmm. is good enough to get better, who can get better. And the person who is deemed completely, Mm uh, just irreparable, gone forever. Um, there, people are terrified of being that person and I mean, it's understandable, but also that's the problem, you know? Right, Mm -hmm. right. It's understandable because all we see is that. And if you
1: know, if you know, like if you live in your own skin and Mm -hmm. you know, like, I'm not going to get, quote, better, then why are you going to speak about your experience? Because you've been told over and over again, well, if you can't fucking get better, you're disposable. Right. Nobody wants to be around you or or talk Mm -hmm. to you or whatever Mm -hmm. will put you up in here where there's a bunch of other people who also can't get better
3: yeah or we will kill you and then it will be seen as this like benevolent thing which is another whole trope in films of like benevolent murder because disability and mental illness is the worst thing in the world it's portrayed as like that's the worst thing there's no coming back from it and that's just it's not that 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 can be true but that's because of oppression right it's not the mental illness itself that means that you are doomed forever
1: Mm. schizophrenia specifically yes like absolutely. And, and when we're talking about 90s and early aughts like yes. the, it was always schizophrenia it was. always I was I was so scared that of I course. would be schizophrenic because mm-hmm. it was the worst thing that could happen totally. to you
2: yeah um I told you yeah. guys on the com- the when we talked earlier that when I got caught smoking weed by my dad he like yeah <laughs> Right,
1: tell them. Yeah, tell them. Yeah. We all just so, had like a total inside baseball yeah, moment by ourselves. ourselves. I know. Yeah, We're we like, sorry. She had to be um, there.
2: When I was, how old was I? I was 15 or 16. I got caught smoking weed on my porch by my dad. He told me he was going to take a nap, but then he came out. Onto, I don't know if he like I don't know what happened. If he like knew I was smoking weed, he like wanted to catch me. I don't know. But, um, He caught me smoking weed and then he made me Google schizophrenia and like research schizophrenia and print out all these articles about schizophrenia. And then he was like, this runs in your family. So this is your choice whether or not you want to have that.
1: Basically, the choice is Um, yours. Yeah, literally like every element of everything is in that story. (laughs) It's like, yep. The like scare tactic, Mm -hmm, the mm patriot. It's all fucking mm -hmm. there. It's all built in of like, don't. And not to mention that
2: I was, like, self-medicating as a teen. Of course. Because I had no access to, like, because I was being told, oh, we keep our problems at home, right, Alba? Like, Mm -hmm. we don't talk about our issues with anybody. And I was, like, severely going through shit. So I was just, you know, trying to have a little break from my mental health issues by smoking weed. And it was like, well.
3: Yeah, yeah. No, absolutely. And I have friends who are schizophrenic, and it's such an uphill climb for them to, like, be able to be honest about what they're going through and they and many of them are thriving you know like i actually Mm -hmm, know people mm -hmm, who mm -hmm. have this diagnosis and like they are they have a full life that doesn't mean that it isn't difficult at times right but what we don't see is the nuance of they have a full life right it's like we only see this is very hard it's like yeah mental illness is hard like i'm certainly not going to sit here and be like no it's a cakewalk of course not right but what we don't see is the rest of the story, the rest of the picture, which is that like people are full people and there are good things too. And if we saw more of the whole picture, then it might be less distressing when we occasionally got, you know, a text, a, a film, a TV, whatever, that mm-hmm. um, that didn't show us quite enough, that showed us maybe, maybe only the negative. We would be able to write that off in a different way and we just can't.
1: No, yeah. not
2: at all. That I all think the system so. just benefits so much by perpetuating itself, you know. Yes. Yeah. And those People at the top want to yeah. stay at the top. Those That's who always, those who run the system, just benefit so much by perpetuating it that you know it's up to us down here to really dismantle and and undo a lot of the teaching and to really bring it to light. And so it's all so involved and really quite depressing. It is. I'm sad.
1: You I... want to know what else is depressing? <laughs> sure. But you could know <laughs> me personally. <laughs> Like yeah, I, I like guess. I w- I was listening. I was present for the whole conversation. But like Alba, when you were like I was fifteen and I had to Google something, I was like, you had to what when you were what? <laughs> there was Google when you were fifteen. Get out of town. That's yeah.
3: really funny. There wasn't Google when I was fifteen. Actually, I think I'm yeah, somewhere right? in between the two of you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. you're
1: you're between. I mean, I didn't even have the internet, so let's right. not talk we had about the that. Internet,
3: but it was very like old and tiny little computers with like. Right, or you would search trail, something pixelated. on like AOL
1: yeah. or like oh, fucking yeah. Ask Jeeves. Yes. Did you ask Jeeves? Oh, I did. Oh, ask I did Jeeves. ask Jeeves. I did. Excuse ask me, Jeeves. Jeeves. What is schizophrenia? God. <laughs> Um, so a little bit earlier, we talked about the fact that so often when we see mental health portrayed, it is a person of color and specifically a black person who is like the therapist, the caretaker, the, the help in some way, shape or form. Um, and like why that is problematic. But I think like there's another piece of that, and we see it, you know, if you haven't watched Girl Interrupted, it's it's a, I think it's a it's a good watch when mm-hmm. we're talking about this whole thing because there's a scene in there specifically where w- Whoopi Goldberg plays oh, yeah. Valerie, um, who is a, like a head nurse at this um, institution, and she sort of is like, get over your fucking self, which is not okay, but mm. also there's something else in there, and Alba, yes. I know you wanted to, to yeah. speak to this and about this. Mm-hmm.
2: Yes, because if we think about Let's talk, let's think about let's break down the character of Valerie in in Girl Interrupted. Right, this is like a black woman in the '60s with kids, caretaking a bunch of white women in really? a mental institution. Do we really think that Valerie doesn't have her own mental health issues that she needs to deal with and to care for her children and to come to work every day? Like, right. what does she have to deal with on a daily basis that she has to overcome in order to provide for for her family? Mm. And that is something that I have. Witness again and again of the women of color in my life, of the elder women of color in my life that did not have the opportunity for rest, did not have the opportunity for healing, did not have the opportunity for help because there was so much else going on. How many single mothers who are women of color have had to put their own mental health aside in order to care for their children? Like, I know my own mother had really struggled at different points in her life. And she provided for me time and time again. I had a roof over my head. I had food on the table. I had everything I needed. I had toys. I had clothes. Yeah. I had things, you know. And, you know, we didn't get alimony from my dad. You know, some people – I think that's a that's a white person thing mostly, <laughs> like getting alimony, you know. Um, and because there was no money. So when we see these representations of these women in these films, of these people – There's also just all of these unsung heroes, you know, these women of color, single mother women of color or just women of color who are like trying to live their lives, who don't have access to care and like because society is so oppressive are convinced that it's their fault, you know, Mm -hmm. as I have been for a huge part of my life. And still find a way to thrive, still find a way to succeed, right. still find a way to have a good job, to pay their rent, to care for the people around them, to make donations to charity, to uplift voices in their community, to care for children, to volunteer, you know, and still are not given the space to have issues with mental health who are right. not given the space to even, like, look into what's going on. And, of course, like, Mac and I talked about this, and I'm sure Mac would have so much to say about this. Of Like, whenever there's a tiny slip-up, if you have a little mental health slip-up or, or anything, or or there's, like, an issue, then you're deemed a villain. Like, it's mm. so fast, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. It's so fast mm-hmm. to just slip right into, like, oh, you're an addict, you're this, you're that, you deserve not to live, right? Right, yeah. So... I just really wanted to say that because I, I like, when Valerie was saying that to Winona Ryder, like, when Valerie was saying that to Susanna, I was like, exactly.
1: <laughs> <laughs> like, yeah, you're no, totally. shit together. <laughs> you know what's really interesting is that you said something, Alba, which I think is really resonant, which is, like, Valerie didn't have the time to even recognize Not that like her body isn't recognizing trauma and she's not experiencing things in her day to day, but it's like if you are in survival mode, like because, because, you know, Susanna shouldn't just get over it. Susanna should, like, the, 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 that isn't where the validity is. The validity is that Susanna had a minute Mm -hmm. to even know that she had. trauma whereas like those with most trauma don't even get that minute Mm -hmm. to Mm -hmm. recognize it and i think like that's the thing like that's the fucking piece Mm
0: -hmm.
1: yeah
2: that's it oh
1: yeah i'm mad yeah me too Yeah, (laughs) i'm mad and i'm fucking tired
2: you know
3: yeah yeah I just yeah. And then I'm gonna lie down she... after
2: this. I'm just gonna go fucking <laughs> lie down. No,
3: you no, yes, take your, take I'm your fucking I'm to go minute. Get, like margaritas. <laughs> yeah, and, like,
2: and, and really? I want to say actually something really interesting. Maybe that is helpful to other people of color and especially black people. That my therapist told me in the sum- last summer. She said, "I was like, I'm taking all these naps and I feel really guilty about it." And she was like, "Don't feel guilty about it." Just mm. rest, and yeah. there's this whole you know, there's a movement of rest, there's the nat ministry, yeah. there's like mm-hmm. all these things you know um counter counterculture of rest, and it's this notion that like my ancestors have not had the opportunity to rest, and so therefore, but I should rest to honor them. It is okay yeah. for me to take an hour a day and not be productive to honor my ancestors and to heal mm. that trauma because mm. our physical bodies have been worked so hard that Like we talked about, like uh, epigenetics and intergenerational trauma, it is so important to just take that time to just rest.
0: Oh, yeah.
1: Unquestionably. Yep. So – Sarah I know that you wanted to also talk a little bit about the stylistic choices we we've, t- we've talked a lot about like sort of the like lived experiences that are portrayed in this episode yes. and in other m- many 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 other mm-hmm. shows and movies but there's also like choices made in terms of the way that these things are portrayed so yes. let's take a minute and talk about that yes
3: absolutely um they go to a lot of trouble to make it very clear that the alternate universe that Buffy is in in, a, in an institution is scary um, and they do that through sound design, whenever we go into the alternate universe, into the institution, there's this very like loud and kind of ominous crashing noise. It sounds a little bit like a door is being like a steel door is being slammed every time. Um and that really acts as a as a an audible way of signifying we are going somewhere scary. And the fact that it sounds like something slamming is also, you know, it, it evokes this like, oh, I'm 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 caught, I'm trapped, I'm hit, right? Um, and then we also, the other biggest thing that stood out to me, other than the very tired tropes that we see in, like, the Asylum is All One Color, you see um, often disabled and mentally ill people are depicted as childlike, so you see someone sitting with a stuffed animal, these kinds mm-hmm. of things. Um, outside of that, when Buffy goes after Dawn, basically, at the in the end of the episode, they really use the music as well as the direction of how they want Sarah Michelle Geller to walk and the blank look she has on her face to really mimic this idea of um, sort of a like like this like very like violent predator kind of like yeah. quote unquote crazy. Like mm-hmm. she, yeah. she walks very measured the sort of where you see in horror movies where someone's being chased mm-hmm. but the person that's chasing is just walking like Michael I Myers the time man. in the world. The slowest
1: right. murderer
2: of all. <laughs> <laughs> right and a lot of shadows too
3: yes yes absolutely and even when she has dawn like on the ground and she's like fighting her it shows her face and she's just completely impassive yeah. right and i think these are very intentional choices to show this idea that like buffy is is divorcing from her humanity ultimately yeah. mm-hmm. which is a huge problem and when mm-hmm. when she's about to go up the stairs and she says dawn this you hear this sort of this sort of like high-pitched music noise It kind of tells you like oh something's scary just in the same way when you're watching a horror movie the sort of um the, the like e ee ee noise it's like yeah. that except it's just not um like punctuated it's just like yeah. one long noise um and that all just feels ex- like very 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 intentional um we are supposed to feel like Dawn. We are supposed to feel like, oh, Buffy is coming for us. Oh God, oh God, I got to slam the door. She kicks down the door, right? Buffy becomes this villain, this attacker. Um, and which is essentially also transferring um, the, which which is really like the gaslighting that has, has happened to Buffy, but it gets translated as Buffy is crazy. Buffy is violent. Um, and then she proceeds to essentially attempt to murder her chosen family, right? Mm -hmm. Um, And that is also a huge trope in media that particularly that mentally ill people kill their families where, of course, there are exceptions, but predominantly it's the other way around. Mm
2: -hmm. Um, Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Hot take. It's like they're portraying that it is a horror movie to have mental illness and Mm -hmm. to be mentally ill when in reality it is the system of oppression right. that is the horror movie
3: absolutely mm-hmm. absolutely which mm-hmm. just goes back to the whole thing we talked about with the like individual onus like oh look at how this thing is so scary but it's it's not the thing it's the yeah. thing that constructed the thing
1: exactly yeah, and the stylistic like to your point on like the vacancy of mm-hmm. Buffy's eyes, of Sarah mm-hmm. Michelle Gellar's eyes playing this this part and who's what d- the director is telling her blah 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 it connects with Joyce also saying, which you brought up, she's gone, we've lost we've her. We've lost her. Yeah. Right. We've lost her. You are gone. If you are a person with mental illness, um that means that you are not present. You are not yeah. a f- you are not a full person. Perhaps mm-hmm. you're not a person at all. And like yeah. those those things are underlined so in so many ways in this episode that are so important because of again, Sarah, what you've been saying, which is that like you can watch dozens of episodes of television that do these same things, dozens of movies that do these same things. We've seen them over and oh, over yeah. and over again.
3: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, even you know, I know X Files is more dated, but like Law and Order, still going. Oh, so much ableism in that. So many, and it's it's just. Even you throw a rock and you hit an example. They're everywhere.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And that's, you know, we've had, you know, I know that like when you do pop culture analysis and you're doing critical analysis, like people have other takes and, you know, and and people are like, well, what if it means this? And what if it means Mm -hmm, that? And it's mm -hmm. not that like, it's not that you can't do those things. It's not that you can't like explore what other ways that this episode might land for you. It's just that. At the end of the day, it's still th- – this trope, The all of these tropes are doing literal yes. harm yes. to actual humans. Yes. So um, that should – I think – I mean, I just think that should always be first and foremost when you're looking at an episode like this.
3: Absolutely. I think that's such an important takeaway, that it's like you can have your opinions if, if people – like the episode or whatever but it's not really about that it's not really about whether or not you like it it's about the power and the structures and what's being reified Mm -hmm. and and then who's dying as a result um yeah and it's not a metaphor you know it might be a metaphor for Buffy it might be a metaphor for the show it's not a metaphor in our world it's yes it's life and death
1: yes exactly exactly oh my gosh well that was a fun chat yeah yeah
3: I I feel so uplifted and full of
2: Hope in the world. Yeah, I'm just so energized. I'm just so energized. Yeah, yeah, I'm going to go run a 15K. Just kidding.
3: I don't run.
1: If only we all lived close to each other, we could all share margaritas right now. Oh my God. Wouldn't that be lovely? Okay, so while the three of us figure out how to come together with margaritas. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, agenda. uh, This has been so fucking wonderful, which I know we knew it would be having talked to you before, Mm -hmm. Sarah, but thank you so fucking much for talking with us about this episode and like bringing your specific pop culture lens to the conversation. Yeah. Um, if people want to like read more of your work and find out more about you and and all of that, where can they go? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I try to keep it easy. My website is just my
3: name. Um, so that's just www.sarahmduncan.com. I do have to specify that Duncan is spelled D-U-N C A N because everyone hears it and immediately thinks Dunkin' Donuts, which is a valid association, oh. but not the way I
1: spell my name. Um, <laughs> I think Dunkin'. Sh- I automatically think Dunkin' Sheet. Right, so, so you that's know where I, I land it. on the yeah. on the mm-hmm. yeah. Growing up, that was always the thing. Everyone's like, "Did you
3: know that your name?" Is-? I'm like, "Yes, I am aware. <laughs> yeah. I've been told this over and over and over." Uh. Um, yes. So and um, and everything is at that one at at my website including my instagram but my instagram is also uh it's dame underscore sarah duncan um and my twitter is sarah underscore underscore duncan that's not a very exciting one
1: (laughs) 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 well we'll put you you know obviously we'll put all these links in the in the show notes as well Uh, but um I I really uh can't thank you enough for having this conversation and Alba you know I know that like you and I are on the buffering team over here but um just really thank you for for being a part of the conversation and yes you, you know obviously we are but three people but it was really um important to have your voice uh in this conversation as well so thanks for bringing all the things you brought
2: Hell yeah Thanks yeah. for chatting with me, guys. It was really, really great. And thanks, Sarah, for all of your expertise. Mm-hmm. So Absolutely. fun to talk to a fellow nerd. Yes, yes, absolutely.
1: Absolutely, nerds
2: forever. No, thank you, Big both. Fucking nerds.
1: Yeah, yeah, and you know, as as is always the case, right? Where this episode is a particular thing. This episode is a conversation around pop culture and its portrayal of mental health. Um, and we have three perspectives here, and that is far from all the perspectives. Mm-hmm. It's also not a conversation that's going into like a medical analysis and <laughs> oh, all right. these things, right, right, right. <laughs> right? <laughs> So I'm sure I've said that at the beginning in the intro but I'm just saying it again here because it's really important to to know that like that that is we were here to have a conversation as three human beings mm-hmm. who have intersecting relationships with um uh, mental health and also privilege um mm-hmm. and and, and to look at this episode and other episodes. Um, and so, if you have other things that you want to bring to the table, always, always please feel free to email us. You can send us an email at bufferingthevampireslayer at gmail.com. Because um, the podcast probably just will never end. So, we'll just keep. You know. <laughs>
3: That's fantastic
1: news. I was worried yeah. that yeah. it would end. You, you heard after it here first. <laughs>
3: <laughs> We're going to try to, you want to talk
1: about it. a time loop, Sarah. Yeah, let's just keep going. Let's We're keep just gonna going to loop, loop, loop. Yep. Yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Um, um anyhow thank you again and thank you um, both, truly hopefully we will I'm sure that we'll hear your voice here in this universe again
3: I would love that I already um I'm not not, not to brag but I already have some thoughts on season seven. Uh, Oh shit <laughs> you know oh
1: shit oh, yeah. season seven what could possibly happen in I know I mean five? they're mostly
3: happy there's just some like there's like little blips you know there's little mm-hmm. blips so
1: can't wait to get there can't wait to get there
3: <laughs> wonderful Hi, it's Jennifer, a founder of the Go Go Network. Do your kids love wacky worlds, superheroes, and inventing? Of course they do. That's why our shows, Bobby Wonder and Lucy Wow, are set in Pflugerville, the nonstop fun and adventure universe where imagination, creativity, STEM, and positive role models abound. Join the Pflugerville fun by searching for Bobby Wonder and Lucy Wow on Spotify, Apple, or wherever you get your podcasts.